It might be the absolute poster child of middle of the road. It might be the symbol of the super bland 70s. To others, there's no better music. On this day, 1972, this song was part of a debut album. It was actually a Jackson Brown song. He started writing Take It Easy for his first album. But his upstairs neighbour was a guy called Glenn Frey, who needed songs for his new band. They were called The Eagles. Such a good story. Isn't it? Do not call the middle of... I don't care. (laughs) Middle of the road, whatever. (laughs) Bloody good. I I actually, when I... Because I sometimes think of my... When I think of um, music, I think of my panellists. When I think of the Eagles, I think of Liam here. Um, (laughs) For God's sake. You're really getting picked on today, Liam. Is is that mean or is This is is normal. He's really mean to me. Okay. Okay. He gets me on whenever he's feeling bad about himself just so he can Take it like, out chew on me your, out in front of the national media. You're yeah. his punching bag. It's not yeah. being mean. It's, yeah. it's ironic. It's a great band. I just, when I think of you driving uh, through the village to Manawatu, taking the lift, I just think, yeah. Eagles. So right. everything, that, everything that's popular is bad, obviously. No. Like, you no. know, so like, Eagles are popular, so they must be bad. Um, can I just have a little sky? So I did meet Jackson Brown a few years ago. Um, he followed me on Twitter the other day. I was quite, yeah. They're like Hang a on. real guy. Stop the press. Yeah. Jackson Brown followed you? I just on a little officer. Yeah. Just saying. You know. Um, that, call that, of the that, afternoon. That's my version of... <laughs> call of the afternoon. I Liam, do you know who he is? <laughs> yes, um, yes, I do. Okay. Um, and you're just young, that's all. I was just wondering. Uh, as, uh, by the way, someone says, uh, they're not the Eagles, Wallace, they're Eagles. Yeah. Um, as an Aucklander, sure. I can vouch that Christchurch is a great place to live. Great restaurants and cafes, fabulous proximity to a huge range of outdoor pursuits. We live on the lower slopes of the Port Hills, slightly in the rural zone, that are only 20 minutes to the CBD. It's Wonderful country walks, biking places, as well as top-class cafes and wineries. You would not get that lifestyle in Auckland, even if you could afford the house. Thank you so much for your company this afternoon, particularly those in uh, Ototahi. It's 24 to 5, the panel. Well, this has been much discussed, has it not? National has announced if they win the election bring back $5 prescription fees, except if you're a gold card or community service card holder. Prescription prescription medications include contraceptive prescriptions. Family planning welcomed the removal of $5 prescription fees. With us is Chief Executive of Family Planning, Jackie Edmund. Jackie, wonderful to have you here. Kia ora. So the top point here in your women's health strategy... Make contraceptive visits and primary care universally free for any contraceptive type. That was in the Women's Health Strategy. Why? Explain to us, why is this so important? 
Well, that was sort of an hour ask for what we wanted in the women's health strategy, so hopefully that ends up being in the women's health strategy. But the main reason is that we know that cost is a real barrier for people, and women are having to manage their fertility from when they're 12 through to, well, 50s. And, um, you know, that's a lot of years of paying for contraceptives and, you know, access, you know, can, it can be really tough to get in to see people and it's costly. And what's the cost for contraception at the moment? Well, it sort of depends what you're having. So if you're having an IUD inserted and um, you're paying for the device, it could be up to $150 for the insertion fee. Um, and then you may pay, your, well, prior to recently, you'd be also paying the prescription charge on that device as well, so another $5. Okay. If you just, yeah, for some, some are only just the $5 fee and, and the visit fee. And, and Jackie, at Family Planning, do you hear of patients not picking up contraception regarding due to the cost? Well, we absolutely see when we whenever we touch the community service card holder fee, we um, we we see that the numbers go down dramatically, that cost is a real barrier. And that fee for a visit for us, for community service card holders, only $5. Um, so even putting that up a few dollars makes a difference to whether people will come in. And very much also the same for young people. So young ones don't always have $5 for their script fee. We, it's a free visit if you come to family planning, but you've still got to get your prescription. So you still have to get that prescription. All right, uh, Liam Rawani is with us. Rawani, let's bring you in. Well, I've, I hope that Liam would go first, uh, knowing what he thinks. But I, I just think, um, Jackie, you know what were your? Uh, I thought it was a it was a clever question um, by political Junos to um, the leader of the opposition. Um, you know about you know if they're, if he's ruling out you know not touching um, community service and um, you know high needs people um, to say he could have just said, well, obviously not for the pill, um, and he could have just gotten away with this. Uh, so. There must be something in that, do you think, Jackie? Like looking. Well, in- I guess yeah. It's hard to know. I mean, I guess. I mean, it seems that. I mean, that the, the government singled out contraception as one of their key reasons for making mm. it free. So right. I guess that's why this has become more of a, a debate. Um, and we welcomed that because we really do see, you know, the barriers that that cost is. So, yeah. Is that I mean, concerning for you, though? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit disappointing because, you know, people will get used to it being free. I mean, I know it's not, well, who, how long, we'll, we'll see. Mm. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's certainly going to, you know, mean that some people won't pick up their scripts. And, you know, that's a real that's a real shame because having an unplanned pregnancy has a huge impact on many people's lives. Exactly. Right, Liam here. Oh, look, there are aspects of how the story has been reported that just were really infuriating to me in terms of feeling like a like a real trap given that it's been framed as if National was doing this because it had some particular axe to grind against the concept of contraception, but totally in favour of hearing all the reasons why a special case should should be made for it. Um, in terms of those existing barriers, even if, if, if the policy were to remain in place, the, the barriers of having the need, the need to get a prescription, I know that I've heard overseas in some places about talking about you know, having it as an over-the-counter, having over over-the-counter availability, and not needing to have pres- having a prescription, is that something that's would that be a response, a next, responsible next step to take either, or would you favour requiring it to be a prescription medicine? Well, you probably I mean, that's a good point, and it's um, a bit of both because actually some, you know, the morning after pill, the ECP is 
available over the counter and some pills are, but often there's still, you have to pay a consultation fee at the pharmacist to be able to get the pill or to get the medication. So there's sort of another barrier on top of the $5 script fee currently. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Getting some pills at pharmacies can also be very helpful. And is that, and is that, um, that pharmacy fee, is that like to check for contraindications uh, and things like yeah. that, is that, or is it, yeah, yeah. okay. So they're yeah. doing sort of a mini appointment, if you like, and, you know, making sure it's safe to, to be able to do it. So, yes, I mean, there's still a cost and that remains a barrier through the pharmacies. In terms of the targeting, this notion of universality versus targeting, Jackie, what of that? Because um, Christopher Luxon clarified national stance on the $5 prescription fee saying, look, if I can pay, I should pay. No one who... No one will do without uh, if they need it. If they absolutely need it, they will get that funding. But if I can pay, I should pay. What's wrong with targeted funding for these types of things? Yeah, I mean, and I, I sort of get some of that as well, but the reality is that particularly around contraception for young people, you know, they can, they can legally access contraception without their parents', parents consent. And trying to figure out whether they can pay or not, the process of trying to figure that out could be quite complex. So you end up spending a lot of time and money trying to figure out who can get it and who can't. Um, so it can end up being quite complex trying to do that targeted, targeted approach. Mm, that's exactly what I was thinking. It's the younger people who don't, you know, have the wages or salaries and that kind of thing, yeah. Okay, very mm. good, Jackie. Lovely to have you on the programme. Thanks for you t- taking the time for us. Uh, that's Jackie Edmund there, uh, the Chief Executive of Family Planning. But just to the media, because you both are sort of fairly, uh, well, uh, live in or around the media, um, what do you make of the reporting of the story? Do you feel, Liam, that um, there's been... Um, uh, lacks nuance, or both of you. <laughs> look, look, it's it's. I get it. You know, it's how politics is covered a little bit, right? But the framing that comes through, and uh, and it picked up on how the Labour Party phrased it itself was that it was this thing about national um, having issues on reproductive health, um, because some national MPs and as you know, some Labour MPs too voted against things like you know abortion law reform and things like that. But, you know, I mean, it doesn't take a lot to work out that actually, you know, this wasn't a targeted attack on contraception per se. And that's actually a really important context. And the headlines that were generated just didn't reflect that. And it just really got got to me. It really but annoyed as, me. But as someone, said, but as some, but as someone yeah. tweeted, the differences that National is saying that there should be a targeted approach with some things being real legitimate needs, which should be free and others not. Of course we should ask what are considered exactly. real needs and what aren't. I and think that's why the point. not? Yeah. And that was the point that I think, Liam, mm. that people that's why it was That's uh, why much the journalist went on went on went down that track and actually looking at the whole thing, he just didn't he didn't offer any um anything to make you feel like uh, you know uh, any better about it, you know, he he didn't he was quite <laughs> resolute about it. He was quite firm on his mm. position, I thought. I can accept all of that. I can accept that there's a legitimate story there. What really got to me and really does still annoy me is this idea that it's the handmaid's tale coming to life, you know, and that seems to me like trying to jam in an actual news event into a prefabricated type of news frame that, that just wasn't there. 
and it, it, it just it just really got really really got my goat. And you know, I can understand the legitimate policy things, and I know it's just how the media works sometimes, but right. it really, also really journalists me, but, don't write the headline as well. I'll yes, just I, put yes that in. I know, I know, yeah. and I know better than to say that. I know, <laughs> yeah. I know that's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're on the panel, RNZ National, Rwani Porera and Liam here with me. Thank you so much for uh, your feedback, your responses. We are going back to the story tomorrow. Uh, if you are from Auckland and have made your home in Christchurch. Get in touch with us, please. Email the panel at rnz.co.nz. Uh, our former guest, uh, Nathan McLarney, said uh, the number of Aucklanders going to Christchurch, it's exploding. be interesting to discover that tomorrow on the panel. Stay tuned. Name suppression has been quite the topic recently, reflected prominently in the Mama Hooch case, which saw convicted rapists, Roberto Jazz and Danny Jazz, able to keep their identities hidden for five years. Interestingly, name suppression is an entirely local invention. Dating back to 1920, when William Massey was Prime Minister, a group of well-meaning probation officers then wanted to protect first-time young offenders from public shame and being unable to secure a first-time job. So, why and when do people get name suppression in the country, and is it still fit for purpose? So I thought... Let's have a bit of an explainer <laughs> on this afternoon. And who better to have than lawyer Graham Edgler? Kia ora, Graham. Kia ora. So I, I'll stick with this topic. I know you're dying to come in on the contraception fees, but don't talk about that, Graham. To this, everyone has to apply, submit your argument, and have it considered by the judge. Is that the way it goes? No. Some people get automatic name suppression. So if you're under 18 and in the youth court, uh, if you are charged, there are a few specific offences. If you're charged with incest, for example, sexual, name sexual, suppression yeah. is, is, is automatic, effectively. And sometimes, it, sometimes it, you might be able, someone might be able to challenge it afterwards. Um, but as a, as a general rule, you're right. But there are a few specific categories of offence or offender. Um, um, who, who are entitled to it automatically. Um, people under the age of 18 in the youth court uh, being the, the, the main one of those. Understood. Uh, everyone else, yes, though, does have, to, uh, does have to ask. So many ask, why is it some high-profile people seem to get better protection than normal people? Or is that the case? Well, because they're high-profile. You know, if you weren't high-profile, you probably don't need to ask. You know, you sort of think back to a few of the cases we know about, and we can say that the people who, uh, I think they pleaded guilty, so I can say who broke the lockdown from Auckland to go to, I think it was Queenstown or something like that, and they asked for it because they were rich people, and they were the people that the media wanted to report about. They were not the only people who were charged, convicted of, you know, or had anything to do with breaking lockdowns. They were the ones, though, that the media wanted to name. So we, we know of sort of half a dozen other cases where the media might have reported on it, where they didn't okay. bother naming or they didn't challenge name suppression. And so sometimes it is, you know, if you're an all-black, the media is going to want to publish it, whereas if you played, you know, for you know, messy old boys, they might not. And so um, that's sort of a factor that can come into it. You know, do, you, do you think that's right, Romani? Because you're famous, is... but you're asking because you're famous because people care a lot more. And that not necessarily said all black, high-profile cases as well. And so you'd have the mama hoops there, high-profile case, particularly... Yeah. Um, right, Romani. Yeah, look at the contrast that we've seen this week. You know, the, those brothers had uh, five years of uh, name suppression. That inf- involves lawyers, fees, everything. And then you see that poor victim 
victim who who lifted her name suppression. I mean, it's a, it's a cowardly act in some instances. That's my view. Um, I see why it's there. Um, I know that it can protect also victims as well. Um, yep. So I see that, but it does seem to be um, economic suppression sometimes as well. Interesting economic suppression. Stay yeah. there, Graham. Let's get Liam in. Yeah, so Graham, Graham knows a lot more about this than I do. Obviously, it's not really my sandbox at all. I mean, I, I, I've got a lot of sympathy for the for the for, for erring on the side of name expression, not only because it protects victims, but because it uh, protects the the innocent too. And you know, we we have a process. Graham, my my question for you though is, look, you know, the, the, as you as you've sort of touched on and we've t- sort of touched on before, the idea is is that you know it's not equally open to everybody because some people can afford you know to to be privately represented by um, you know expensive um, you know counsel and some people can't um, are you of the view that you know despite that you know that the, there's enough integrity in the justice system that the merits the merits tend to prevail right it's not a matter of who having a having a pricey expensive lawyer or not the justice system, the, ju- the judges, they apply it according to the merits without too much respect to persons. Do you, you feel com- com- comfortable that that really is the case? I, I, I think that is, with sort of the slight caveat of, if you don't have a good argument for name suppression, then money can get you temporary name suppression for a lot longer. Mm. And so, you know, yeah. I think everyone, you know, sort of the hearing you get, I want name suppression, maybe you only want it for a fair trial reason. You know, there's some argument about, well, people shouldn't know that this is the person because they're facing a separate trial on something else. And you know, so that's sort of some of the particularly egregious examples we know of, the Jesse Kemp thing, yeah. two separate trials, and you don't want the jurors at one trial to know that the other trial was him. And so that sort of fair trial one is the sort of, you can get it, but uh, once that trial's over or something like that, then you can sort of start naming the person. So that sort of case, I think everyone will be basically treated the same. But if you don't have a good argument for name suppression, um, money means you can appeal and then try and appeal again and apply again. And so sort of I don't think it factors into the judge decision, but yeah. this is factually, well, you've got an appeal. We've got to keep going Well, to make sure your appeal isn't nugatory. We've got to let you have it yeah. while we're arguing the appeal. And I think money certainly comes into that. Yeah. So, so there's an access to justice element to, to the public angst, would be fair, fair to say? Yes, I, I think so. And that, that's, that's the case for, for, for most aspects of this. Um, yeah, it's the, I forget what the line is, sort of, you know, it's the better to be a guilty rich person than an innocent poor person. I think that was talking about the U.S. Um, you know, I think it was particularly um, uh, OJ. Final thought reminding. Yeah, I, I, don't, I just, line, but um, yeah, absolutely, Graham. I just wanted to give a shout out to those victims of sexual violence who lift their name suppression. I mean, I've interviewed someone who did that. She was, you know, in her teens. Um, same in the recent case with the Mama Hooch, and I just think mm. that is the most brave, you know, a beautiful thing. Understood. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And, and that is potentially, like, mostly, I think, if you were to get someone, even someone who's concerned about name suppression, things that happens too often, mm. if you were to sit them in front of the bit of the Criminal Procedure Act, which says, these are the times you can get name suppression, I think most people would, oh, that, that's fair, that's fair, that's fair. And so the concern is, in particular cases, why can't we know or something like that? Mm. I think there are a few areas where the law could be changed, and one of them is, is that victims lifting name suppression. Okay. Sometimes victims have been told they can't. 
It doesn't happen a lot, right. but it is wow. certainly a few cases where a victim has, usually after many years, if it happened at the trial or something like that, you should be able to, but sometimes there have been a Agreed. few cases. Um, lawyer Nikki Pender has taken a few of them where a victim has tried to get name suppression lifted and has been told that they can't. Graeme, it's so, so interesting. Uh, I'd, love to, I'd love to talk to you more about this. There's actually quite a bit of interest on this um, uh, coming through by text. But for now, kia ora. Appreciate your time today on that. That's lawyer Graham Edgler on whether or not uh, name suppression is really still fit for purpose. Finally on the panel... On Saturday morning. No, we're still on uh, Thursday afternoon, uh, but Saturday morning is coming up. It'll be fantastic. Don't do that uh, with, to me. Uh, I've, I've struggled to remember what day it is at the best of times. Talking about suppression, uh, uh, we haven't heard anything, so I'm guessing you're suppressing all the texts praising me for taking the lift or defending my well, right to do on it. Well, that, on that, but actually, if you were a critical one, actually, you would have read them out. You know, what, you know what, if you really want to know, if you're really pushing me this afternoon, Liam, here's one for you. I constantly see people working for a life health insurance company in Auckland taking the lift to only one floor, and it's shameful. There you go. Boom. It's seven away from five, uh, the panel. It's the first day of winter, and it's time to talk about one of the heavy lifters when it comes to keeping a warm home. No, I'm not talking about the heat pump, not double glazing. Curtains. The first curtain bank opened in Aotearoa in '95. Still going. Christchurch Curtain Bank is run by not-for-profit Community Energy Action, and they've now given 10,000 free high-quality curtains to families. And with us is the CEO, Robert Linterman. Kia ora, Robert. Oh, kia ora. I was, I was fascinated by this because it's, 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 it gives an indication, Robert, of just how much a difference curtains make, Right. Yep. So the benefit of putting a good quality curtain with a thermal backing on it, you don't lose 20 to 40% of heat out of the window. The other side of that is you don't let the cold in. So not only are we keeping heat in, but we're keeping the cold out. And it's really important because um, if you've got a cold house, it costs a hell of a lot more to heat it than if it's warm. I was, I was, that's that's amazing. I was thinking maybe. 5 to 10% no, Rwani. 20 to 40%. Honestly, Robert, I just, the story makes me smile. I think yeah. it's, you know, fantastic. The amount of um, kind order or, um, you know, social housing that I've driven past and you see those neck curtains in, in the middle of yep. winter and it's just, you or know, just a condensation huh? or yeah. a blanket. Mm. Um, so I just applaud you because um, I, I personally don't have curtains in my house, but um, I know how, you know, past ones, you know, I know how expensive they can be and measuring them and getting good quality ones as well. So um, yeah. I think it's a fantastic. Yeah, um, it's, it's awesome. And, um, you know, we've got a Red Cross curtain bank here here in Palmy okay. who, who also do, do really great work. Cool. Uh, Robert, in terms of, um, hey, get the curtains, are they, you know, do you get a lot of donations from sort of commercial like motels and hotels when they change them or is it... Is it, yeah, is it yeah. private people when they remodel, or, or is it, has it come from everybody? Yeah, all of the above. I mean, recently we had a donation from Novotel where they, where they donated 150 rooms of curtains to us. Um, but everyday people, when they swap out their curtains, uh, who know about the curtain bank, drop them in. Uh, we had another motel drop in 30 rooms of curtains the other day. And what we do with those is we, we refurb them. And make sure that the you know there's no mould or anything in them, and then we put uh, new linings in or refurb the linings 
so that they do uh, have that thermal property to keep the cold out. Now, some people may put um, just a single layer of curtain up, which you can buy, but the cold still comes through. You definitely need those thermal back curtains okay. tight, tight up against the window to stop the heat going out and the cold coming in. Graham, so I just had a thought. Double glazing. Oh, yeah, fantastic. Um, I had a thought. What do they do one uh, with the MIQ curtains? Because I remember going to, you know, the old Jet Park when they refurbed and they had donated like their mattresses and everything to Tonga. But I wondered what they did with the curtains. So you should hit up yeah. some of those. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. hit them up. How Andy. interesting a reminder that uh, curtains make a, uh, a, a make it make a, a difference, difference there, Robert. And just finally, uh, are there? Obviously, this is quite a successful model. It's been going since 1995, and that's a significant period of time. Is there a way that uh, people across the Motu this afternoon might be able to help or indeed contribute? Yeah, so we we are always looking for donations of curtains, but we're also looking for donations of money because it takes money to run these things. We've got um, three permanent staff uh, there, but we also have the benefit of 15 volunteers that come in each week to help out as well. So if you want to come and volunteer, if you're in Christchurch, come and get in contact with our Curtain Bank and we'd love for you to come and join us and help wonderful. out. So cool. Yeah, wonderful. Robert, part Robert, of, you, you the other part about it is that we are in a position now to actually install curtains for people if they can't do it themselves. Good on you. Now, I'll just mention that name. That's Community Energy Action, CEA Christchurch. Robert, kia ora. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much. You have a great evening. It's Robert from Tamaki and relocated, I wonder. I didn't ask that question. (laughs) The German, the journalist. Good to have you, Liam. Take the stairs tomorrow. Send us the tweet. This was brought to you by (laughs) Otatahe Christchurch. More on that tomorrow. Rewani Perita Kiota. I'm Wallace Chapman. 3.45 tomorrow. Power Battle Friday. Lisa Owen and Checkpoint next.